We'll see if my voice holds out. It's gonna be okay. I got my tea. We're all good. And uh, I just wanted to kind of take a, a moment today uh, just to kind of have a family moment, as I've already said. Like, this is just an opportunity for us to kind of look back as we look forward. And uh, how many of you know that when you write a story, you know, there's, a, there's the next chapter, but it's not a new story. It's this chapter that's rooted in history or rooted in the rest of the story. And, uh, and that's certainly how Jenny and I have felt uh, since we uh, came here and kind of you welcomed us and uh, allowed us to be a part of your family. Uh, this has become our family. And uh, I tell, our, I tell our friends all the time, people go, how are you doing? I go, I feel like a round peg in a round hole, you know? I feel like a kid just splashing around in a swimming pool, you know? Like, I'm having the best time of my life. Are you kidding me? These are the most amazing people. I get to work with the most amazing staff and group of elders, and man, it's just been an absolute blast, and uh, we've just recognized God's hand upon our church, and uh, how many of you would acknowledge, even over the last couple of weeks, as we've set time aside to fast and pray, uh, and I would even go further back than that, even over the last few months, We've just seen God moving in our midst, haven't we? And uh, it's a special season, isn't it? It really is a special season in our church. And I, I believe that as we just share some thoughts this morning, that, that what we're sharing is, I think, just something that God's already unfolding, that God's already doing in our midst. Now, I recognize that we've got some people, uh, we've got some people that have been here maybe uh, a long time. How many of you maybe have been here over at least the last five years, right? Okay. How many of you the last 10 years? See, see how I did that? You get to drop your, right? 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. Oh, look at these folks. How many have been here over 30 years? We got Jenny over here. All right, that's awesome. I love that we're a multi-generational church that has lots of people from lots of different eras of our church. And some of you are brand new. Uh, some of you, I won't ask if this is your first Sunday. That would be way too embarrassing. I know I'd be embarrassed. Um, but uh, some of you, you know, brand new. Like this is like, you know, you're coming or maybe you just showed up this morning or you've come over the last few weeks and months and it's like, man, I like what I feel and what's going on. And there's some really friendly people here. I believe that we have the friendliest people on the planet, right? You guys are amazing. And, uh, and I just recognized that, man, in a crowd like this, that there are different people at different stages on the journey. And I thought, man, it would be good for us just to go back, um, just to the genesis of the story. And uh, this church started uh, in the heart of, obviously in the heart of God, but God moved upon a couple uh, by the name of George and Ann Powell. And this is back in 1988. They were originally from West Virginia. They were living in Indianapolis at the time. And uh, they were just seeking God about what God was calling them to do. And God, there was this kind of church planting seminar that kind of came across their desk. And, and as they saw this, God just did something in their heart and said, you gotta go plant a church. And they began to prepare themselves to plant a church. And I think I have a, yep, there they are, right there. How many of you, I wanna be like George and Ann Powell that get better with age. I mean, amazing looking couple. Look at that, that's amazing. And, and George and Ann, in 1988, they followed the call of God. God stirred in their heart. And uh, they, uh, they rehearsed the story. They say this, that they said they were hoping that God would take them somewhere sunny, um, but God brought them to sunny side. <laughs> and I'm grateful for George and Anne. I'm grateful that they responded to the call of God, that they were obedient to God, and they were willing to move to the upper left corner of America, right? And heaven knows we need good, healthy churches. We need men and women of faith who were willing to uproot themselves, come to this part of the country, and plant a life-giving, faith-filled church. And that's exactly what George and Anne did. And I want to give you the opportunity because I know in my heart, I am so grateful for a couple like that that would establish in faith a work like this, that they would be willing to move. How many of you know that was a sacrifice? But they were willing to move to follow and obey the will of God to see God do something in the Pacific Northwest. And I want to tell you, George and Anne, if you're watching, and I know you will be, I just want to say thank you so, so much for being those who are willing to obey God, willing to plant in faith, willing to come out here to this really weird part of the country and establish a work for God because we need healthy, vibrant churches, and you were willing to obey. Come on, church. Can we give it up for Pastor George and Anne? Thank you guys so much for doing that. 
And, uh, and really, this is kind of the establishment. This is the story that, that this wasn't, and I need you to understand this. This wasn't man's idea. This was God's idea. But God used a man and a woman named George and Ann Powell. They were willing to uproot themselves, move across the country. They didn't know where they were going to meet. They didn't know what people would gather. But they were willing to obey and follow the Lord. And in so doing, God established something through them. And in fact, one of the key verses that was used and that the Lord used in their life and in the establishment of this church was actually found in Isaiah 43, 19. And I want to read it to you because I believe that this is in the root system of who we are as a church family. And, and this is what it says in Isaiah 43, verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Back then, 1988. And it would be June 4th, 1989, when this church would finally be established and would open up its doors and that people would gather to worship the hero of the story, Jesus Christ, and gather other people to come to know him. But God said, God planted in the heart of George and Ann, I'm about to do a new thing. He says, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I love that. I love the fact that, that in the establishment of this church, this family, God's heart, God's idea, God said, behold, I'm going to do a new thing. How many of you know God just doesn't do new things once? God does new things over and over and over. And he's always building on the thing that he built previously. God lays a foundation. The Bible says it this way. It's line upon line, precept upon precept, that God is still up to doing new things. Behold, I will do a new thing. It's about to spring forth. And I will make pathways in our way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You see, this church was established on the idea that in a wilderness, in a desert place, there would be an oasis, an abundance where God would spring forth. Where people would come and gather and give their life to Jesus. And in giving their life to Jesus, they would be transformed and changed and be used by God to establish his kingdom, to be a part of his unfolding story here on planet earth. Here's what I love about this passage. Because we, we read the verse, but what's so interesting about the context is that he says this over and over again. He says, and you'll be a witness to it. You're going to be a witness to it. You're going to see the thing that I'm going to do. And the point that I'm simply trying to make this morning is that it's God who does these things. We're witnesses to them. And we've seen God. Some of you have been here a long time and you have seen the faithfulness of God. You've seen the work of God uh, throughout our history, throughout our story. God established a thing. God built a thing. God uh, moved and expanded a thing. God caused us to go to different parts of the region and start other campuses. He's allowed us to impact the world in which we live. Why? Because God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It's going to spring forth. And where there was a desert wilderness, there's going to be now an oasis. There's going to be an abundance. In fact, that's kind of the story uh, of the verse that really our name is taken from. It says in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Does that surprise us? This is what the enemy does. But there's this alternative story when Jesus shows up. Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. And, and right back, 1989, what God was establishing through Abundant Life Church was that we would be a people that would live out God's story, not man's story, not culture's story, not the way of the world's story, not trying in our own efforts and our own strength, but we would be a people that would live out God's story, and that would be a story of abundance, a story of blessing, a story of peace, a story of rest, a story of the kingdom of God being established here on earth in the midst of all the chaos and confusion of the world in which we live. And this is what God has called us to. This was the genesis of this story. God's story that in the face of brokenness, in the face of uh, dismay, in the face of chaos and heartbreak, all caused by sin, God says, I'm going to do a new thing. And the new thing is going to spring forth and it's going to spring forth with life. It's going to bring an oasis in the middle of the wilderness. And this is what God's called us to. This is what God established. And here's what I love. Pastor George used to say it this way. There's no perfect people allowed. Because the moment you show up, you're going to ruin it for everybody else. 
right? We're not a group of perfect people that have it all figured out. We've never have been. It's not in the, the genesis of our story or the root system of our story. No, we're regular people. God is establishing a new thing. It's going to spring forth. And on June 4th, 1989, that story would come to life. And a people would gather to worship the hero of the story, to lift up the name of Jesus, and to gather people who were near and far, come to worship Jesus, and look what God has done. Here we are almost 33 years later. Look what God has done. He said he'd do a new thing, and he's not done doing new things. We've seen back over our story, new thing after new thing after new thing after new thing that spring forth to bring life to the world in which we live that people might know and experience Jesus. God's the one that's doing this. And so we don't really have time to kind of go back through the history. And um, I was a geography major anyway. I hated history. Um, so that's okay. Anybody love history? My wife loves history. Yeah, we've got some history people. You're weird. Um, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, but what I do want to do is I want to take a moment to look at just a few things that as I look back through the story and had conversations with people that have been around a long time and listened to Pastor George and went back and looked at our documents and, and our history and, and just began to see themes that were coming through the Abundant Life story. And there's a few themes that I think show up really significantly. These are not all the themes. These are not all the things that God has done. But I do recognize, number one, that Abundant Life Church has always been a people of faith. Always been a people of faith. This church is established on a faith, a belief, a trust in the faithfulness of God. When Pastor George and Anne uprooted their family and moved across the country to establish something in the Pacific Northwest, it took faith. It took elders and a congregation and staff who would join with them. Excuse me. And in this idea that this was not man's idea, this was God's doing. You see, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It's going to spring forth, and you'll be a witness to it. You'll be a witness to it. You'll be a witness to it. But it's God who's the one that's doing it. In fact, I actually have our original charter here. And uh, I know um, there were a couple of people, there were a couple of names I recognized, um, Carl and Brenda Smith, Carl's one of our elders, and they were here, um, Bruce and Debbie Douglas, they signed this. I'm sure there's some others uh, that maybe are, are still a part of our church family. But I wanna read to you the charter that established us as a church family. And I just love the faith with which it was established. And it says this, as we have been called by God, not by man, how many of you are grateful that we're called by God, right? To begin this church, so we call upon him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in this church both now and forevermore. Don't you love that? That, that the original charter would establish this church, this document right here, established it as a, as a church that would trust and believe the Lord, that we would place our faith. In fact, that verse is actually directly taken, or the, the charter is actually directly taken from Ephesians 3.20. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power with, at work within us. So who is the one who is at work, who can do far more and who's at work within us? God. See, it's God that established this house. It's God that can do immeasurably more, abundantly more. It's God who's at work. Now, our part is to respond to. He does far more according to his power, his presence, his promise, his spirit at work in us. Which is why we want to be a people that are yielded and surrendered to Jesus. Yeah, we're just regular people. Nothing special about us. But God is the one who's establishing something. God is the one who's doing far more than we could ever ask or think. Immeasurably more. Abundantly more. It's God who's at work. It's always been God who's at work. And it's taken faith. It took faith for George and Anne to move and plant this church. No building, no people. Where were they going to meet? None of those details figured out. But they were willing to be obedient and to follow the voice of God in faith. It took faith to meet in rented facilities for 15 years. It took faith to buy this property, the Happy Valley Campus, and not be able to dig anything, not be able to build or establish anything for some nine years, but have to continue to meet in rented facilities. 
It took faith when we opened this facility. The week before we opened this facility, there were 707 people. It was March 14th, 2004. Some of you remember it. March 21st, 2004, the very next week, we went from 707 to 1,419. More than double. That takes faith. That's the kind of thing that scares me as a pastor. How are we gonna take care of all of these people, God? Well, I'm grateful we have an amazing team that does just that. But it took faith for us to build that kids' wing over there in 2008, right? It took faith for us to purchase more property around so that we could dream about the thing that God might want to do. It took faith for us to open up the Sandy campus in 2010. It took faith for us to open up the Vancouver campus in 2014. We've always been a people of faith. Now I gotta get back to my notes. There they are, not Apple TV. We've always been a people of faith. Faith is in the root system of our story. And our faith is rooted in God's faithfulness to us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. God, you speak, we'll obey, we'll follow. We're just going to follow in faith your faithfulness to us. And I love the fact that, that uh, Pastor George, he said this. He said, even though seasons change, what never changes is God and the promises of God to us. You see, God says, I'm gonna do a new thing. It's gonna spring forth and you're gonna be witnesses to it. God says, I've come to give you abundant life. And as you receive the abundant life of Jesus, I want you to give that abundant life away. He says, I'll do far more than you can imagine. Why? Because of my power at work in you and through you. This is who we've always been as a church. We've always been a church that is willing to trust and obey because there's no other way. We wanna be a people of faith, following and recognizing the covenant promises and faithfulness of God to us. We're just gonna obey and follow. We've always been a people of faith and we're gonna to continue to be a people of faith rooted in God's faithfulness. The second thing that I recognized is that not only has, has, have you been a people of faith, that Abundant Life has always been a church that wants to reach lost people and help establish them, help them become more like Jesus Christ. You know, when, when Pastor George was establishing this church, I love it, he says, and it was just matter of fact, we intend to grow and we intend to reach people. Nah, let's just be us four and no more. Little holy huddle, right? Nah, we don't want to reach people. Are you kidding me? I know the Bible says salt and light and all that stuff. No, 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 we don't want to be that. No, no, no. We were established as a people receiving the abundant life of Jesus, but not to hoard it to ourselves, to give it away, to be salt and light, to be ambassadors of the king for the kingdom of this earth. And that's what we're after. We follow the lead of Jesus. We are a people of faith, but we are a people who will reach lost people who will pastor saved people, who will establish people in their faith and help them become more and more like Jesus. We've always been a church that's for our community and for our world. You know, it's so easy in the world that we live to be against stuff. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Like, honestly, we just live in a world where it's super easy to be, ah, I don't agree with that, cancel that, don't do that, I'm not after that, right? And we can be an opinionated people that go, man, I don't know, that's not, but we've always chosen to be a people that are for people, that are for community, that are for the region and the world in which we live. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, Make no mistake about it. This is why Jesus came. This is why we're here as ambassadors, as disciples, as followers of Jesus. We've always been that kind of a people, a people that are for our community and for our world. As I was just looking back, I was having a conversation with Jeff Boxel, who's over all of our outreach ministries and missions. And man, it blows my mind how much stuff you guys have accomplished, how many people you've reached locally and globally over the last three decades. Remember back to two years ago, we couldn't meet on an Easter Sunday. So you know what you guys did? You got a big truck and you said, we're gonna stuff this truck full of food and we're gonna make sure that those who are hungry in our community have food this Easter. 
You've given generous offerings that have served ministries locally. You've given offerings that have served ministries in Ecuador and served kids that are orphaned and established a church there that those people can come to and be established in, right? You've been a people that have served the city, served DHS, served school districts. You've been a people that work with Embrace Oregon that have said, hey, we're gonna take on the foster care system and we're gonna try to do our best to be salt and light in the foster care system. What are the needs in our society? We're gonna go after being salt and light and serving God through those things. You've been a people that have said, man, we're gonna go to Ecuador and Puerto Rico and Mexico, and that's only beginning to scratch the surface of what I think the Lord's gonna call us to as we step forward into the future. Why? Because you've not only been a people of faith, you've been a people that said, we're gonna seek and save the lost. We're gonna join Jesus in his mission to rescue this planet from the brokenness and heartache of sin and the devil. I love that kind of an attitude, guys. I love the faith that you've lived with. I love the, the, not the, the exclusive nature of just us and we've got it all specially figured out. No, no, no. Regular people saying we're willing to give away our lives and we're willing to go serve others in our community and around the world. You're that kind of a people. That's who God established you to be. That's who God has established us to be. I actually have the first, one of the first bulletins um, that, that our church ever produced. And this is so old that this is this literally cut and paste. Like literally, they've cut the logo and pasted it onto this piece of paper and then made copies of it, you know? Um, so this is literal, this is old school, guys, cut and paste, you know, vintage right here. Um, but I love this because what was written on the back of our bulletin was this. We believe you came because you were looking for a place where you could meet with the living God. Nothing's changed. We still believe that people are coming into these buildings that we own, that God has graciously given to us to meet with the living God, to encounter God's presence. You and I, we don't have the ability to change the human heart. We don't have the ability to do anything. But we believe that as they encounter God, something fundamentally changes in their heart. Something transforms, something shifts, something changes. I love that back in the 80s and early 90s, we were talking about that. And we also know that you came to enjoy fellowship with others. I'm grateful that our lobbies are full afterwards. I'm grateful that we have a cafe. I'm grateful that we have teams that serve. I'm grateful that we have groups that meet. I'm grateful that we are the kind of church that's not exclusive, but it's inclusive and saying, man, I want anybody from any walk of life, man, you come and you experience God. Because I know if a person experiences the presence of Jesus, that they'll begin to change and be transformed. I'm grateful that we've come to be that kind of a church. He goes on, it says, we trust that your heart will be moved by the Spirit to celebrate the greatness of God's grace. And man, that's my hope. I'm hoping that people don't see us, but they see the fame and deeds of God. That when people come into our spaces and places, that what they encounter is the presence of God. And what they do is they roll up and worship and adoration for God, not anything that we've done. We're just partners. We're just kind of tagging along with what God's doing. Unless God builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And this is what God has called us to. We wrote about this back in the late 80s and early 90s. We seek to follow only Christ. The Bible is our rule of faith. We want to see lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people discipled, and discipled people mobilized to be used by God with their gifts and talents and abilities in the story of God that's unfolding here on planet Earth through Abundant Life Church. This is what we're after. But we've always been after it. It's always been who we are. And so you've been a people of faith. We've been a people that said we're coming to seek and save the lost. We're going to join Jesus in his mission and see people become more and more like Jesus. But the last thing that I've just, as I look back in these themes that I was seeing from our story and from our history, the last one was this. You've been a people that have persevered. You've been persistent. You've stayed at it. And I know that in your life and in my life and in the life of our church, man, there's highs and lows. There's ups and downs, right? There's good times and bad times. There's mountaintops and valleys. Like, that's just part of life. How many of you recognize, in fact, I teach my kids, the sooner you figure out that life is ups and downs, right? You hear yourself, parents, don't you? You've been doing the same thing. But, but we, we too have been through highs and lows. But you have remained persistent and um, um, because of You've persevered because of the faith that you've established in the faithfulness of God. Look, 
there's this verse. I hate this verse. <clears throat> Is that terrible for me to say? Pastor said he hates this verse. You'll figure it out in a minute. Um, but it says this in James chapter one. Consider it pure joy. Really? Pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, that faith that established you back in 1989, that faith that's carried us, that faith that's a, that, that has continued to unfold and write the story that God is doing through Abundant Life Church, you realize that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. And that, I believe, has been the story of Abundant Life Church. That God's established us in faith. God said, I'm giving you abundant life, not to hoard it to yourself, but to seek and save the lost, to give yourself for others. And whether it's been good times or bad times, you have persevered. You've continued to put one foot in front of the other and respond to the faithfulness of God and say, God, we're gonna continue to be joining with you in writing this story that's called Abundant Life Church. You have persevered. You've continued to trust God. Peaks and valleys, good and bad. We trust you, Lord. We trust your faithfulness. We trust your goodness. We trust that you're continuing to lead us and guide us even when it doesn't make sense. And this was established in the root system of who we are. George used to say it this way. He says, we're gonna pray fervently we're going to discuss it thoroughly. We're going to look for wisdom wherever we can find wisdom. And then we're going to trust wholeheartedly. That's who you've been. That's who God established you to be. That's who God has established us to be. That we are a people that prays fervently. We are a people that, man, we're going to discuss and seek wisdom from God's word and from wise counsel. But we're also going to people that continues to wholeheartedly trust that God is writing his story in us and through us. This is who we've always been. This is who God has established us to be. And I want to honor you. I want to bless you. I want to affirm you. I want you to recognize that God sits in heaven, and I believe he looks down on you, Abundant Life Church, with a big smile on his face, his heart filled with joy, that what he has found when he searched the whole earth and said, I looked for a man and a woman who would stand in the gap and make up a hedge, but unfortunately I couldn't find any. That's not true of now. That's not true of Abundant Life Church. God says, I was looking for a man and a woman. He found one in George and Ann Powell. Then he found others that would join with them. And God says, I'm gonna build and I'm gonna establish and my glory will be revealed through this house. This is who God has established you and me to be. You know why? Because God never forgets his covenant with his people. You've probably heard of the book of Jeremiah, or, uh, Nehemiah. Little secret, pastors love the book of Nehemiah because there's all these leadership principles that they can be taught, and that's actually very true. But the biggest story from the book of Nehemiah, the biggest truth that comes out of the book of Nehemiah is that God never forgets his covenant. Hundreds of years have passed since the remnant came back from Babylon. Remember, we did talk about this in the fall, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all out exiled in Babylon. And they come back, they come back, but hundreds of years have passed, and Jerusalem still lays in ruins. And Nehemiah asks a really simple question, God, are, are you done? God, what's going on with, with the remnant that returned to Jerusalem? And he finds out that the walls are in ruins and that this temple is laying uh, in ruins. It's not been rebuilt. And God begins to move on his heart. And I love what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. God's been looking for a people that would persevere and remain faithful even when things don't make sense. Why? Because God is the one who doesn't forget his covenant. God is the one who is faithful. God is the one who says, I'm not done. I'm still building. I've got more to do. There's more of this story to be written. There's more to be done through the Abundant Life Church. See, God doesn't forget his covenant. Our faith is established 
in his faithfulness. And so I recognize that, man, God, you've been doing all of this. This is who you've established us to be. And over the last few months, we've been kind of taking time as an executive team and with the elders and, and then as a pastoral staff and all of our staff at our church and just trying to say, Lord, what kind of language, how could we put in to kind of put on paper, how could we kind of describe what we believe that you're calling us to write in this next chapter, recognizing that it's just the next chapter, it's not some new story, it's been established and it will continue to be established on this idea of faith and obedience to God, his presence and amongst us, regular people just being used by God immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine, that God would do this in us and through us. And as I've been meditating and thinking and praying over the last three or four months, the Lord keeps taking me back to a passage of scripture that I just want to take a few minutes to walk through today and then just give us some language that over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack it a little bit more so that we can understand together what is it, God, you're describing for us as we step into the future. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn really quickly with me to Haggai chapter two. In Haggai chapter two, uh, if you remember in the fall, <clears throat> we took a look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Those are fun names to say, aren't they? You know, Rack, Shack, and Benny, if, you're, if you know all about veggie tales, right? And so what happened, if you remember, is that the Babylonians, they were the superpower on the planet, and they had taken over Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem and Judea, but they'd taken over uh, much of the Middle East. They were like the world's dominant superpower. And what they did was they took these young men and women, and they, they exiled them from wherever they came from, in this case, Jerusalem, and they took the young men and women, those who would be brainwashed and equipped and trained in Babylon, and they also destroyed the temple, they destroyed the city, they took all of the riches out of the temple, and they moved them to Babylon. Well, fast forward some 70 years. And this, of course, was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah that there would be a 70-year exile. The, 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 the temple was laying in ruins. And Babylon now has been defeated by the Persians. And the Persians have a king by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus, he believes that the best way to handle the situation now, to curry favor with those who he's, um, over, or who he's supplanted, is to send them back to where they came from. And so Cyrus sends a remnant back to Jerusalem. This is 536 BC. But when they get to Jerusalem, what's taken place in Jerusalem is that they get back and what they left didn't exist anymore. The walls were in ruins. The temple didn't exist anymore. It was destroyed. And remember, this temple was a temple that Solomon built. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I mean, how did they build this stuff? The amount of money that went into building uh, this, this uh, temple where, where the Jewish people would worship and adore their God, right? Like, it lay in ruins. It was destroyed. It was gone. And the remnant gets back, and this is in 536 BC, and for about two years, they try to build, rebuild the temple, but the task is just too great. It's just too devastating. It's too painful to try and rebuild something. How are they ever going to rebuild Solomon's temple? Well, the, the answer is they never would. They never could. It was too big of a task. So they get discouraged, and then the Samaritans, they show up, and they're starting to try, and they start to mock all of these uh, um, Israelites that have returned, and they're, man, you guys, you're never going to build that temple. And, and so internally and externally, there's just this discouragement that comes upon them. Fast forward 16 years. A prophet by the name of Haggai, 70 years old, he comes to them, and in the space of these two chapters, covering six months, he has four prophetic words designed to encourage the people of God in their task of rebuilding the temple. See, what had happened was they had given up. They were just going about their own business. They were building their own house. And Haggai comes as a voice from God to encourage them to be about God's work once more. And this is what he says in Haggai, 3, or Haggai 2, verse 3. He says, Who is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? And it's a rhetorical question because that the temple is laying in ruins. There's not a snowball's chance in H-E double hockey sticks that this temple's ever going to get rebuilt. And so they're looking at it going, it's never going to get done. We know what we left, and that's never going to be rebuilt. But then he says these words to him in verse 4. He says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. 
And so here they are, 16 years after they returned. They tried for two years, nothing happened. 14 years have passed, and he says to them, I need you to be strong, get to work, because I'm with you. God's saying, don't be discouraged. Be strong, get to work. Why? Because I'm with you. How many of you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. But God's showing up saying, be strong, get to work. I'm with you. The reason why you can be strong and the reason why you and I can get to work is because the Lord is with us. We're not interested in building our own house. We're not interested in building man's idea. We're interested in partnering with God who can do far more abundantly or immeasurably through us than we can ask or think because of his power at work in us and through us. So be strong. Get to work for I am with you. And then he continues in verse five and he says this, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you, so don't be afraid. And there's this prophetic word, there's this impartation, there's this word directly from God. And how many of you know the word of God does not return unto him void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And this word comes from God saying, be strong, get to work, Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. And then he doubles down on it and he says, I've always been with you. He takes them back thousands of years in human history and he says, when I called you out of Egypt, when you were nothing but a slave in Egypt, when you were under the power of that authority, I'm the one that called you. I'm the one that chose you. I'm the one that rescued you. I made a covenant with you that I would be your God and you would be my people. Nothing's changed. So why can we be strong? Why can we get to work? Why do we not need to be afraid? Well, because he's always been with us. He he made a covenant with us. He chose. He says, you're mine. I'm your God. But it says his spirit remains with us. Boy, I think over the last few weeks and months, we've experienced that as a church family, haven't we? See, when God established us 33 years ago, he says, I'm going to do a new thing. It's about to spring forth. You're going to be a witness to it. You're going to see Way away in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is what I'm going to do. Why? Because of a covenant that God made. And what we've experienced over the past few weeks and months is this resurgence or this maybe heightened awareness because God never went anywhere, but just this sense that God, you're amongst us, that you're in us, that you're doing something with us so we can be strong. We don't need to be afraid. We can get to work because his spirit remains with us. And then he says this in Haggai 2, verse 6 and 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the nations. And boy, do we live in a time and a season when there's a shaking going on all about us. Isn't that true? That man, everything that can be shaken is being shaken. That there's a movement, there's something that's happening. Chaos in the world in which we live. All of the stuff that's even transpired over the last season, the last few years. It's crazy out there, folks. But look what he says next. He says, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. You see, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes to give life, not just life, abundant life. And this is the story that we're living out. It's always been our story that we're going to be life, abundant life in the midst of all the chaos. We will be a harbor in the midst of the storm, that we will be filled with the glory of the Lord in the midst of all of the shaking that's taking place in the world in which we live. And and quite ultimately, that's what we've always wanted, for the glory of God, now and forever. This is why we exist as a church family, to glorify God, to help people see the fame and deeds of God renewed in our day to a new generation of kids and grandkids that need to experience the presence of God the way you've experienced the presence of God in the past. God's not done He said, I will fill this house with my glory. And then verse eight and nine, he says this. He says that the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And I believe that God is up to something behind the scenes. How many of you know God works upstream? That God is already up to something to provide for us all that is needed for us to accomplish the next chapter, the next part of the story that God is calling you and I to be a part of.
God will provide the silver and the gold. All that you need, he will provide so that we can accomplish the thing that God has called us to. But then he says this in verse nine. The glory of this house, the glory of this house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And I believe that's a word of God to us. Historically, as these, this remnant went back to, to Jerusalem, what they saw was the, the, the temple of Solomon laying in ruins. It was never going to be rebuilt. And what they had the capacity and the ability to do was they were never going to be able to rebuild this structure, this architectural structure. But you see, what God was building was not a building. God was building a temple. God was building a people that would be filled with his glory and that the glory of the former house didn't reference the architectural glory. It referenced the glory of the Lord through Jesus Christ. You and I as the church of the living God that we would be filled with the glory of God and that glory would be greater than the former glory. That what people would see would not be an, a structure, an edifice, a, a, an architectural marvel. What people would see, what people would experience was the life, the presence, the abundance, the glory of God filling the people, the hearts and lives and minds of people that God had called to be him, his. And this is what God's calling us to. This is what God's inviting us into. That what God has done for the past 32 years is establish a thing, laid a foundation. But I believe that God has got more in store. How many of you would believe with me? God's not done. There's more chapters to be written in your life. There's more chapters to be written in my life. There's more chapters to be written in the life of this church. Not for our glory, not for, uh, for us to get any fame or accolades, but for the glory of the Lord to be seen here on earth, even as the waters cover the seas. This is what God's called us to. This is what God's inviting us into. And so, as we're trying to figure this out, now, oh boy, I'm a wee bit over. There's a first time for everything. Thank you. That's, that's, I'm receiving that in faith. First time, oh, it's not even the first time today, guys. Sheesh. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you some language to describe the next chapter of our church. I want to give you some language that I think is rooted in who we've always been. The Bible says, write the vision, make it plain so that those who read it, they can understand it and run with it. And God is calling you and me. God is calling us into this next story or this next chapter of the story. This next chapter of the story is established on the story that he's been writing all along. And so I've been trying to answer a few questions for us. Uh, I've been trying to sit down with the executive team and the elders and our staff and say, who are we as a church? And here's what I want to I kind of just share with you today and give, give you language. We're going to unfold this over the next four weeks, so don't send me an email today and go, hey, I think you missed something, right? We're going to unpack it over the next four weeks, okay? You guys be gracious to me that way. And, uh, but I want to just share some language with you to help describe who are we as a church? Who are we as a church we are a community of regular people. It's just like George used to say, no perfect people allowed. We're just regular people. We've always been a community, a family, a body. This is who we've always been. This is who we are. We are a community of regular people, but we're living out God's extraordinary story. It's not about us getting saved, us getting a golden ticket to heaven. I'm going to hang on and just try to make it. No, no, no. When Jesus showed up to announce the gospel, the good news, what was it, Jesus? That the kingdom of God has come. That here and now, we're not waiting for eternity to start. God has called you and I to be a part of living out God's extraordinary story here on earth as it is in heaven. It's all going to be consummated with a new heavens and a new earth. But God is establishing his kingdom here on earth. He's writing his story and he's invited you and I to be a part of that extraordinary story. How do we do that? We do that the way Jesus showed us. Colossians, there's this beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23, and it describes who is Jesus. It says that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. You want to know how God would handle a situation? Look to Jesus. 
What we want to do is be a people who live out, who don't just believe something, but we practice something. We live out our faith the way Jesus lived it, the way Jesus showed us, the way Jesus established. And so who are we? We are a community of regular people living out God's extraordinary story the way Jesus showed us. Shorthand, we live out God's story the way Jesus showed us. This is who we are as a community of faith. Why do we do this? Why, are we, why would we be this? We're this because we want to see the fame and deeds of God renewed in our time. Our charter was established to see God now and forever be glorified through our church. This is not about us. This is not about a man or a woman. This is not about people. Uh, this is about the glory of God at work in us and through us. And in Habakkuk 3.2, it says that the Lord, I've heard of your fame, and we've seen the deeds and the fame of God in our own story. We've seen the deeds and fame of God throughout human history, but we stand in all of those deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day, and in our time, make them known, and wrath, remember mercy. What we're after is we want to see God established. We want to see the fame and deeds of God. When people think about abundant life, I want them to think about God. I want them to think about Jesus. I want them to look at and say, I know that they were the ones that supplied the food, or they were the ones that served, or they were the ones that came and gave us mission, but you know what I see through them? I see Jesus. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to establish. That's what God's been doing for 33 years. Not about us. It's about him. And so we're, we're recognizing that, man, if this is who we are, if this is why we do what we do, we've identified kind of four things that we as a church family are pursuing. And I'm going to unpack these over the next few weeks. I believe they're in the early church. I believe they're seeing them through scripture. I believe they're part of our history. It's who we've always been. And the first thing is this, that we pursue the presence of God. We pursue the presence of God. We pursue the tangible, personal presence of God individually and together through a culture of prayer and worship. This is not about a theory, a thought, an idea, an ideology. God, what marks the people of God is the presence of God amongst his people. You see it in the book of Genesis and you see it in the book of Revelation and you see it everywhere in between. God has established a people for himself, a covenant people on this planet that he would work in and work through. And so we want to be a people of presence. We recognize, and we'll talk about this more next week, but Moses, he's standing about to take the children of Israel into the promised land. God says, I'm giving you the promised land that I promised you. I made a covenant, I'm giving it to you. Not only am I going to give you the promise, I'm also going to protect you. I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to drive out your enemies, and I'm going to protect you in the land, but I can't go with you. Because I'll wipe you out if I go with you. And Moses begs the Lord, if you don't go, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going. Can I tell you the same thing's true for us as a church family? We want to be a people marked by God's presence. That's what distinguishes us. It's his presence. And I believe not only is God omnipresent, but God manifests himself. We've experienced the presence of God as we've gathered and worshiped and prayed and sought him together. God does immeasurably more through us, his spirit at work in us and through us. So we want to pursue the presence of God. We want to pursue the formation of people. We pursue deep change through the transformational discipleship drawn from the example of Jesus so that we become whole, healed, and flourish in a secure, God-given identity. It says in Romans 8, 29, that we are being conformed or transformed into the image of Christ. Paul said in Galatians 4, 19, I labor, I, as if in childbirth, to see Christ formed in you. We want to see a people who look, sound, act, behave like Jesus, not in the external, but because their hearts are being transformed. They've been saved. They've been pastored. They've been discipled. They've been equipped and mobilized to go do the very things that God is calling them to do. And as they do them, they look like Jesus. This is what we're after. This is who we're called to be. This is the story of the New Testament. You were created in the image of God, but sin corrupted and polluted it, right? Broken and fractured, but Jesus comes that we can be reformed, recreated, renewed because of our union with Christ to look and act and be like him. 
So we want to be those who pursue the formation of people. We want to be those who are uh, a Jesus. We pursue a Jesus-centered or a Christ-centered community. We pursue belonging to and participating in a loving, formative, and diverse community unified around Jesus. When you and I get saved, we don't just enter into a covenant with Jesus. We actually enter into a covenant with one another. The Bible says that he sets the members in the body. Yes, we're part of a universal church, but God sets us into a local body. We belong to one another. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We build one another up. Why? Because we're in covenant with one another. And the last thing is this. We pursue neighborhoods to nations. We pursue joining God's restorative work locally and globally by generously using all that God has given us for his glory and the good of others so that people might be saved and live out God's story. How many of you go, man, that's who we've been and that's something I could be a part of as I move forward? If that's you this morning, would you just stand with me and forgive me for going over. I'm gonna have to go repent to our children's ministry. But as we close today, and I'm just gonna close with a real simple prayer. But if that's you this morning and you're simply saying, man, that's, that's the story God's called me to be a part of. If that's you this morning, I would love for you just to lift your hands and, and we're just, as a church family, just kind of lifting our hands together and saying, Lord, this is who we've always been. Yeah, there might be some fresh language, but Lord Jesus, this is, this is the next chapter. And it's a chapter established on a previous chapters. And so Lord Jesus, this morning, we just respond to you. Lord, we say thank you. Lord Jesus, for the story that you've been unfolding. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for generations that have gone ahead of us, that, Lord, have laid a foundation, that have put bricks in the wall, Lord Jesus, that have established that which you're doing, Lord, in and through this house. Thank you for Pastor George and Anne, for the elders and leaders and pastors and shepherds in this house, decade after decade, who have loved and served and said, Lord, we'll be a people of faith. We'll be a people who persevere. We'll be a people who seek and save the lost, who help people be conformed to the image of Christ. Lord Jesus... We're recommitting ourselves to that. We're recommitting ourselves, Lord Jesus, to that story, to your story, to the unfolding work that, Lord Jesus, you can do immeasurably more in us and through us because of your power, your spirit at work in our hearts and lives. And so, Jesus, this morning, we're giving ourselves afresh and anew. Lord Jesus, we're committing ourselves to you, to your story, to that which you're doing in us and through us as a church family. And so, Lord Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of it. We bless you and we honor you now. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, God is good.